Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. And we are back for another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Sam Webb here uh, with a man that is the focal point, the focus of this podcast, offering experience and commentary, a former Michigan basketball standout NBA veteran, and now doing broadcasts for ESPN on the college basketball side and uh, on the pro basketball side with the Pistons. And then, of course, he has duties uh, with the NBA Players Association running the NBA Players Association Top 100 camp. His name is Tim McCormick. He's my guy, my friend. Tim, how you doing again this week? I'm I'm positive. I'm I'm optimistic. I'm I'm, I'm going to keep <laughs> focusing on good stuff um when when in reality the team is struggling. It's very very frustrating. Um but you know the the, the there are reasons and and so we don't want to point the finger at anyone, but I do think it's important to be honest and objective uh success and winning is so fragile you know and attention to detail and focusing on fundamentals and um, being flexible those those are all great team traits and you know look back on your calendar 50 days ago michigan went to illinois eight and one top five in college basketball Battle for Atlantis champs, and a lot of people thought that Michigan was a serious Final Four threat. Mm-hmm. And and Franz was getting healthy, and the team had a swagger. And then they got exposed by Illinois for everybody to see. And since then, they've lost seven of eight to power conference teams. And now the schedule is going to be challenging this week. Games that you would have thought that in the past. And the NCAA tournament might seem in question. And and so we've got a lot of things to talk about, Sam. Yeah, you, so you, you started out saying you're, you're optimistic and, and, and positive. And I, <laughs> I immediately I want to say, man, spread some of that around, Tim, because yeah. it's, it's not a heavy supply with those watching Michigan basketball right now. You understand why. It's because when you when you watch them, you see what ails them. And you, you look around and you wonder if there's a solution on this team this year. You know, for everything that Jawan Howard uh, can – any button that he can push is the, is, is the right button available to him right now, I think, is the question that a lot of people are asking because you talk about a, a bucket getter. And I, we'll, we'll go into the games in order, uh, of course, but just really quickly, you know, Ayu Dusumu at the end of that game – that's just a guy that, that can go get you a bucket, Tim. I mean, that was great defense, by Zay, terrific defense by Xavier Simpson. And here you had DeSumo create a little space, rise and shoot over, over X and drain it with .5 seconds left on the clock. That's not coaching. That's just a guy that can go get you a bucket. And when you look around with Juwan Howard, I know they could have made some free throws down the stretch and, and, and maybe the game's different, but he just doesn't. He just doesn't seem to have that guy right now that can do what a Desumu can do, what a Cassius Winston uh, can do. I mean, they, you know, guys across the league can do. Michigan is lacking star power. Uh, who would be somebody like that? How about Jordan Poole or mm. Charles Matthews or Iggy or Isaiah Livers? Um, the, the game is about can you get a bucket when you need one? Can you get a stop when you need one? And, and Juwan has remained really positive. You can see from the Illinois game, he's growing as a head coach. He tried some different adjustments, some hard hedge on pick and roll coverage. They doubled the post a few times. Um, I, I also liked his comments about he welcomes the adversity because that's how a team improves. But I just, you know, I still have to question some of the analytics and on the three-point shooting. I think if your team struggles to shoot from three, then maybe the, the mid-range and attack the rooms are more of a positive. Um, you know, so options. If the defense improves, there, there will be more fast-break opportunities. 
Um, Juwan's first real roster is coming in eight months, so I know he's learning a lot that will help him. And and the key is that you just you still got twelve more games, four against ranked opponents. The Big Ten tournament is coming up, so that there's a lot that could happen. But right now, it's getting a little bit difficult to 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 kind of weave through all of the negativity and find those positive thoughts. So let's go back to the Penn State game first, Tim. And it was a you just mentioned the the three point shooting. I mean, it has been it has been an issue. Uh, at times throughout the year, uh, but that it, it was just it was abysmal. I mean, they shot eight, you know, basically eighteen percent from three in that game, five for twenty-eight. And I, I see the Michigan and Big Ten play offensively, and I've said I I see it as a series of peaks and valleys. They they they've had those games where they've been really good offensively, and it make you think that this is sustainable. So Purdue, they're really good offensively. Iowa, they're really good offensively. It was the foul disparity that really, uh, you know, distinguished those two teams. But you look at Michigan State, Tim. You look at you look at the Minnesota game in the in the stretches of those games that you pointed out. It was you who said they didn't finish the half and they didn't finish the game. So that was five minutes at the end of the first half where they couldn't hit a shot. Four minutes at the end of the second half where they couldn't hit a shot. Then you get into this Penn State game, Tim, and again we go through this this major kind of offensive paralysis where if the threes aren't falling, it just feels like they had nothing else they could lean on. It's a reoccurring problem, and I don't see it miraculously getting better. You know, we've seen it for 19 games, and you are what your numbers say you are. Over the last eight games versus power conference opponents, 56 for 198 from three. That's 28%. 27% Big Ten play. That's number 13 in the conference. Once again, you are what your numbers say you are. And and beyond that, you know, with Penn State, I think it was more than just shooting. I think that the Michigan players, especially the veterans, were fooled into thinking that since they had won 17 of their last 18 Big Ten games, they were at home. They would continue. And, and actually, the Purdue win was a double overtime game in which Michigan had to play really, really well in order to beat a mediocre Purdue team that struggles to score. So against Penn State, the, the reoccurring trends continue. The best opposing player, Lamar Stevens, had an excellent game and got his average plus some. Uh, we struggled covering dribble penetration, especially Myron Jones and Curtis Jones. Uh, um, um, Myron and Curtis mm-hmm. <laughs> drawing a blank. Um, they, they, they combined for 13 for 18, which is pretty darn good for your support guys. And, and, and then also Penn state shot 48%. So it wasn't just the shooting that certainly hurt, but defensively it, it was an issue. And the buzzword that, that I took away from the post game press conference Juwan said lack of communication. communication. What, what what does that mean to you, Sam? Yeah, that means that you aren't communicating on switches. Uh, you know, if if got team, the best defensive teams out there, uh, when they're on the on the court, they don't leave it to interpretation what a guy you know, like if you're if you're switching on a guy, it's great if you're if you're so connected that you don't have to speak, but the best defensive teams Tim speak anyway. They don't leave any room for interpretation about what a guy is supposed to do uh, at, at every step of a defense. And so he said, you know, we didn't switch out. We didn't switch up on shooters uh, enough in that game, and that left guys with, with more space than they should have had uh, against Penn State. Now, you know, all that being said, Tim, I felt like in that game, you're right, defense, and, and Juwan's right, defense was not good. But I felt like watching that game. I said, "Man, we've seen it be, we've seen it be worse." So it's like mm-hmm. I just, I felt like for as 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 suboptimal as they were defensively in this game, it was still good enough for for them to 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 win that one if they just if they just shoot just a smidge better, just a little bit better. And I, I the reason why I harped on on offense is because when you look at early in the season, you know it, it's it's. It, to me, it's about the open looks that that aren't going down, and what they could count on in the early stage of the season, 
and this is not this is not singling guys out, blaming them, but it's it's talking about what was available to them at the start that's not available to them now. And that's when Eli Brooks got an open three, he canned it. When for for a few weeks anyway, when Franz Wagner got an open three, he canned it. And those are in the absence of Isaiah Livers, your top three point shooters. And in this game, Tim, they were two for thirteen. So it, my question then becomes, all right, if, if those guys can't hit open looks, then what what can you dial up? What, what other other what other options are there available to, to try? And I'm going to sound like a broken record, Tim, but I just don't think that they explore the paint enough when it comes to when it comes to, you know, low post. I know John Teske is the is the most visible guy there but that that to me if they're gonna try something with 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 that might be sustainable i'm not even guaranteeing that it will be but that to me seems to be the most viable alternative to to try uh, unless and until some of their guys start hitting like they were earlier in the season that's a lot to unpack there was a lot there sam and i i am i think that that the poor shooting um, can be improved um, from from a fundamental standpoint. Yeah, you've been saying that. Um, yeah, and when I when I look at analytics, analytics, especially three point shooting, only works if you can shoot thirty three percent from three. And and I think that the green light for some of Michigan's players needs to turn into a yellow light. Um, you know, just you know, for for instance, Franz Wagner. I love the fact that he is so confident and he shoots without fear. And, and some of his shots against Illinois, I thought were quick and a step outside the range he needs to be. He's four for 22 in his last three games. John Teske, one for 10 over the last two. And, and when I watch a three-point shooter, Look, I've, I'm I'm not going to even belabor it right now that I think Michigan's pre-shot work and their their post-shot discipline is very very mediocre. But but I will say this: when I watch a three-point shooter, if it if the shot's a little bit long, it hits the back of the rim, or it's a little short and hits the front of the rim, but it's straight. I think that's a good look. That that's a shot that you know maybe tired legs or you know didn't get you know quite enough jump. But a three that goes left or right, right to me is a poor release or the balance is off or they were sped up and they shot a little too quick left or right on ball flight. It's not it's not going in. It's got no chance. Um, and, and so that's a fundamentals thing. That's OK. If your shot goes left and right, there's only one thing you need to do, and that's get in the gym and get a thousand shots because there is no good shooter. It shoots left and right. Um, so that's something they need to work on against Illinois. Four for 17 is not going to cut it. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I, and I, maybe this is unfair. Maybe this is unfair of me to do, but I, I distinguish between Franz Wagner taking threes and John Teske taking threes because I, I feel like one guy uh, ha, has history, albeit not at Michigan, granted. Uh, and I, I feel like part of, his experience will be playing through this slump, uh, playing and, and still remember this is a guy who who missed a good portion of the early part of of prep for the season with with a broken wrist. So I, I still think that he's working through some things in addition to being a freshman. We got three and a half years of John Teske, and, and so I, I you know the 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 notion that suddenly the three point stroke is going to it is going to appear. I just don't see the, the the basis for that, and that's not to say that he should never shoot threes. I'm just saying the the volume of of threes that he takes, uh, you know, relative to his overall number of shots, is just off. I mean, if he if he's one for ten, like you you mentioned the the Penn State game, you know, he he finished that contest, Tim. Uh, you know, pulling up the stats here. He was he was four for ten in the game, zero for four from three point range. Mm. Uh, it it wow. was it was it, it similar. You had a similar circumstance getting into the into the Illinois game yesterday. 
you pull that one up. And I remember remarking in the in the second half of the game, wait a minute, how many shots has John Teske taken from three? He was four for 14 from the field, one for six from, from three. So it just says to me, you know, when when threes aren't falling like that for him, three and a half years in, it's like hey, his, his, his volume of shots needs to be more focused inside the arc as opposed to outside. And as I watched the game, I had the same thought. And I don't believe this is true. I don't think it's true. But this was my thought. And remember, I'm being positive today. Right, right. Um, we see it a lot when guys are seniors and you know the NBA is watching and the NBA is saying, I wonder if he can do this part of his game. And then you see a senior trying to do that. I just wonder if, if in the back of his mind, that that NBA scouts want to see if he can make threes and he's making a lot of threes. I agree with you. I think that that his game is best suited to start out inside to, you know, get rolling because he shoots the ball, whether anybody wants to admit it or not. He's an excellent, excellent shooter when he's in the role of of post play, grabbing rebounds, knocking, you know, you know, blocking shots, running in transition. Then all of a sudden he becomes a very reliable shooter. But when that's the emphasis and one of the most important parts of his game, I don't see him knocking down as many threes. Um, another thing that that is is so important is that he's a confidence guy, and and a lot of people are. When I look at Xavier and when I look at John Teske, sometimes I think that. If you get miscast in a role of being a star when you're a really, really good support player, that's a bit of an issue. Last year, when they were surrounded by Charles Matthews and Iggy and Jordan Poole, no defense was loaded up to stop them, and they got better looks. They got they got higher, higher field goal percentage shots. Um, this year, they're at the top of everybody's scouting report. Nobody leaves them. Every time that they make a move, Everybody's watching, and that's a hard, hard way to play. Tim, uh, talk talk to me about big man psychology, uh, and, and here's why I ask that question. Here's why I want you to do that. I should say, because you know, I think part of the issue is John Teske sometimes establishes position in the post, and the guys don't get him the basketball. I mean, and and, and it's not just the other guy. Sometimes it's X that doesn't get him the basketball. Uh, you know, it, it. There are times where you know he's worked hard for position, and and, and gets ignored. And I, I, I wonder if if that's a part of of the issue. You said he's a confidence guy. Is he discouraged by that? Is that an issue? And and is that something where as a big guy you got to get more vocal about? Give me, I'm in here. Go all Keyshawn Johnson on and be like, give me the damn ball. So when I was when I was playing for the Philadelphia 76ers, I remember a game. I don't know if I shared this with you, but I was posted up. I had a mismatch, and Maurice Cheeks was the point guard, and he didn't give me the ball. He went to the side of the court. Somebody else shot it. So during a timeout, I said, Mo, what's up? I had him on my back. Why didn't you give me the ball? And he said, if you don't look like you want the ball, mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you the ball. Mm -hmm. And he said, you've got it. You, you know, I need to see, you've got to demand it if you want the ball. And that was a very valuable lesson because the point guard doesn't want to pass it in because then he doesn't get to shoot. Um, <laughs> but but if, you, if you get active and you wave your hand and you get a look on your face like, give me the ball right now, I'm going to work, you're going to get it. And, and I think that a lot of times, because this is new for John Teske, it's also new for the, the perimeter players passing it in. They, they've never done this before. So I think that's the next step in John Teske's post evolution is give me the ball and get out of the way. Yeah. And I, I think he's capable of that. That's great stuff, Tim. That is, that is terrific insight. And, and it feeds into some of my suspicions anyway, that maybe they look at him like, man, I don't see a whole lot of authority in, in demanding this, this, this basketball. And the other thing is, you know, I I wonder, in fairness to the guys passing the basketball, if they get if they get a little discouraged when when he doesn't convert. I thought the you know the last field goal attempt uh, was a great look against Illinois. It was a great look. It just didn't go mm -hmm. down. They Agreed. went to John Teske in the post. 
I take that, you know, a thousand times over on this team and its current configuration. So hopefully that that's something that, you know, that, that they take stock in when they watch the film. Say It didn't go down, but that was still a great look. We got to live there more if we're going to have some. It's, it's, it's one of the most sustainable things they can do. And that's not me saying that it's going to be the ultimate solution. I'm not casting, you know, John Teske as as Mo Wagner or or DJ Wilson or, you know, any of the bigs that Michigan has had here in recent years. I'm not casting him as those guys. I'm just looking at an array of suboptimal offensive threats right now and saying what, what is the one that they could explore to, you know, to the greatest uh, benefit and I just think it's 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 Teske in the post. Well, here, here's another thought. Lamar Stevens the other day against Michigan, I loved his approach. I thought he played such a professional game. And if you look back at the tape, his first four buckets were all mid-range or layups, and he got off to a great start. And and it just his confidence was there the whole game. You know, he just got he got a swagger. Um, I remember playing a game um, for Michigan against Georgia at the Omni. It was my best, my probably my best scoring game until the NIT finals. And I remember it was kind of fluky the way the game started, but there was a loose ball that I got and converted. I had two points. I got fouled, two more free throws, and then in transition, I just found myself in the right place and got a layup. I got off to a huge start and I just, I felt invincible and it just powered my whole game and, and I couldn't be stopped that game. And I remember it to this day because it just happened to, to fall in my lap. And I just know that the confidence that comes from a quick start, getting some open shots is massive for one's ego. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that mid range shots, I'm not saying that you, you bolt the analytics, but right. be aware that analytics move in your favor if you get off to a good start and you're confident. Gotcha. Uh, you know, look, we, we you know this. You've been in the game your whole life. Shooting uh, is fleeting. They can do some things as far as their shot mechanics are concerned. Uh, you know, hopefully it could, as they as they work on it in practice, they have a little success in games. It will work on their confidence. But the thing that is, thing that travels, the thing that you can repeat most the thing that you can count on game in, game out, if you do it well, is play defense. And, and you mentioned earlier uh, communication uh, being an issue. So I, I'm curious, Tim, as you look at the, the defensive concerns with this team, we talked a lot about, you know, what they double the post, and we've, we've seen them run a few more doubles here of late. Talked about issues with, with communication. Is that, is that something on a team where you don't have a lot of vocal guys? Uh, you know, we heard Eli Brooks kind of talk. We said, I'm not the most vocal guy, but I need to be more vocal when 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 we're talking about uh, defense, especially. Is this something that you think that they're going to be able to fix in season? I think they can, but but I, I'm I'm perplexed by the communication issue. Uh, when Juwan said there's a lack of communication to me, that translates into there's a lack of trust. Mm -hmm. Michigan is not a physical team. I think at times they feel sorry for themselves when their jump shots not going in, their defense suffers, and the numbers really back that up. Michigan's opponents always seem to get their scoring numbers. The star player gets big numbers, always. Mm -hmm. uh, Michigan's allowing 79 points per game, 79. That's 14th in the Big Ten. You can't get much worse than that. Um, their three-point defense, 34%. That's 12th. Opponents are shooting 48%. That's dead last. Good teams do not have those type of numbers. You know who 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 has those numbers? That's always been Iowa, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, Iowa, you can get your numbers against them. Um, but, but the difference is that Iowa shoots the ball more consistently than this Michigan team is. So if you combine both of those, that's the reason that they're tied for what eleventh place in the Big Ten with Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great point, Tim. All right, <laughs> all right, we 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 need let's let's get a lift. Let's get a lift because you had a a great another great chat this week 
with a former Wolverine in, in Ignas Bresdakis. Iggy, as he's affectionately known. And he was a guy coming out of high school, Tim, that I thought would be a two-and-done guy. I thought Michigan would have Iggy this year. And if they had Iggy this year, they'd have that bucket getter, that guy you could just give the ball to and say, make it happen, young man. This is not about coaching. This is about you having the talent to make a play. If they had him, I could see a, a few more a few more you know check marks in the win column. Uh, without him, clearly it, it is led in part to their offensive struggles. Uh, but he was so good as a freshman, Tim, that you understand why he made the jump. I understand it, and and I think he has a bright future. When, when I was talking to Iggy during the interview, it really became apparent to me what Michigan's top issue is, and that's star power. Iggy is one of the best freshmen that Michigan has ever had, especially at the forward position, and you use the term bucket getter. That's what he was. He was fearless. He was tough, had some alpha dog, always believed that he was the best player on the court. And and I do believe that he's got an extremely bright future in the NBA. All right. Here's Tim McCormick with Iggy Brasdikas. The Michigan Basketball Insider Podcast is really excited to talk to one of the best freshmen that Michigan ever had, Iggy Brasdikas, uh, four-time Big Ten player of the week as a freshman. He was a all-Big Ten player as a freshman. And then the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. And and really, really loved the way you play. Iggy, thanks for joining me. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so take us back to your your decision to attend the University of Michigan. Uh, you were living and playing in Canada. And you were uh, mentored by Nick Stoskis. H- how did that happen? And, and what kind of an impact did Nick have? Yeah, um... So basically with that, he was he was from Mississauga. I was from Oakville. That's about 10 minutes apart from each other. And, um, you know, we just started working out together um, even before Michigan started recruiting me. So uh, he was just a genuinely good guy. He's Lithuanian-Canadian as well. And we just kind of connected, started to work out with each other. And then, you know, once Michigan really got serious with me, uh, it was great having a guy that's been at Michigan and, you know did as well as he did big 10 player of the year all that so it was cool having him behind my back the whole time for the the michigan fans that that have not been able to follow you this year a second round draft pick and you are with the new york knicks and playing in their g league as well with the westchester knicks um i know you played nine games this year and you you had some really some really bright spots um can you can you talk a little bit about how the year is going for you and what is it like to play in the g league yeah um you know this year has definitely been a big big learning experience for me and uh playing playing for the g league is it's actually great i feel like my game has developed in so many different ways um i feel like i became smarter um making the making better decisions on the court and, uh, you know, I'm just grateful for this year, uh, both playing for the Knicks and Westchester. It's just, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely a different lifestyle, a different, different everything, different energy than what it was at Michigan. But, you know, I love, I love being at new places and adapting. So, um, you know, I'm just being patient and just staying ready. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. Is there a, a significant difference between the caliber of play in the Big Ten as opposed to a G League game? How, how would you put that in context? You know, um, see, that's tough. That's, that's, a, that's a difficult question. I think, I think the bodies and the athleticism are a bit, you know, it's more, it's bigger in the G League, but in terms of like just the environment and 
you know, the talent level in the Big Ten is so big that that there isn't there isn't a huge it's not a huge leap for me at all. I feel like it's um, it's definitely a high level of basketball in the Big Ten. So I think if you play in the Big Ten, you're basically going to be prepared for any level of basketball. Well said. Uh, when when you look at the the experience that you've had so far, nine NBA games, you've played well. Um, was there a, a matchup or a guy that you went head to head with? Uh, that was kind of eye-opening, brought the wow factor that that really really stuck with you. What what what's been kind of like that defining moment? Well, definitely, you know, like when I got to you know play playing games where Giannis was playing and Luka Doncic, and just seeing and LeBron James, like seeing guys like those play and like right in front of you and just competing on the floor is just it's definitely different different level and it's just really cool playing against elite athletes like that have you had a chance to talk to coach beeline at all yeah we we communicate amongst each other all the time you know we we message each other and just keep you know keep each other updated and uh um definitely try to talk to him as much as i can yeah, do did did you come close to coming back to Michigan, especially when it, it sort of looked like you would be a second round draft pick, or were you just uh, married to your dream and really excited to get to professional basketball? Well, honestly, like it was just uh, a combination of things um, with me leaving, but um, I definitely I definitely gave a lot of a lot of thought coming back to Michigan and. Um, it would have been interesting to see what things would have been like if I came back, but I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful and happy that I'm in the position that I'm in. Uh, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of thought that went into the process of deciding whether to leave or stay, but I'm definitely grateful and happy with the decision I made. Going back to your, your Michigan days, Iggy, the, the, um, the number one memory at the university of Michigan, what, what would that be for you? Man, there's a whole lot of things. I love Michigan with my whole heart. That was, you know, the greatest decision I made going to that going to that school. There's a whole lot of memories, you know, the the lifelong relationships I've built with with players, with the staff, with like everyone. It was just amazing. In terms of on court, I gotta say the games against Villanova, North Carolina, and Maryland probably stick with me the most. Those were just amazing games that I will 100% never forget. Uh, who was who your roommate? Colin. Colin Castleton. Yeah, how how um how is Colin enjoying his year? I know that he has vast potential and, and you know, they're facing yeah. some adversity now. Have you talked to him? And you practiced against him. So what, what kind of potential do you think Colin has down the road? Oh, man, I have nothing but positive words for Colin. I think, I think he's got a big big future yeah and i think i think he will play in the nba as well he's he's got he's got a lot like even last year like the development he made throughout the whole year with his body with everything with his skills becoming more confident i'm just i'm excited for him to break through because i know it will happen do you do you see yourself coming back to michigan getting your degree uh is ann arbor a destination we're going to see you down the road yeah, no, 100%. Ann Arbor is always close to my heart. Um, you know, I'm definitely going to look to, you know, finish up my education for sure, maybe a bit further down the line. But I'm definitely going to try to, especially, I'm going to try to catch a few, you know, maybe a football game next year or so, or try to, you know, come to as many basketball games as I can. So hopefully the schedule is line up for me to do that. Yeah, when when you look back at at becoming a professional, I'm curious what was your first NBA purchase? That that thing that that you, you know, is there one thing that jumps out at you where you were excited to get some money in your pocket, fill up that bank account so you could get something special for you? What what was that? Yeah, that that is hands down my car 100%. I did, you know, it's, it was it was kind of surreal like because I just, literally last year I was in the dorms like you know struggling to like you know find 
not not fine food. The food is like amazing there, but just you know, I didn't. I definitely didn't have you know the money that I have now, and definitely, definitely the car kind of opened up my eyes for sure. Mm-hmm. What did you get? I got a BMW. <laughs> nice, nice. So, do you keep that in Westchester? Yeah, yeah, it's in Westchester with me. I actually just took it for a car wash, so hmm. gotta keep it clean. <laughs> well, you know, playing for the New York Knicks must be a dream come true in the world's most famous arena. Uh, what what has that been like living in New York? Uh, I know you're not there all the time, but um, some some of the teammates that have been impactful for you, um, the coaching staff. What what is playing for the Knicks meant to you? It's it's amazing. I'm loving my first year in the NBA. Definitely hasn't been like you know the most winning winning a season but the amount of knowledge that i'm acquiring right now and and i just feel i'm just grateful you know for my i got a lot of great teammates a lot of great vets that are you know showing me showing me the way and how to do things and how to act so there's it's just a great group of people and i and i definitely love new york it's it's the biggest stage like you said and i'm I'm definitely built for that kind of stage, that kind of atmosphere. I'm just being patient and waiting for my number to be called up. When uh, when you look at the the Olympic schedule coming up, I, I was curious. So you you grew up in Lithuania, but then you moved to Canada. Um, is a yeah. is the Olympics a goal for you? And and who would you play for? The Olympics is 100 percent a goal for me. You know. It's a lifelong dream, 100%. My family has always watched the Olympics. But in terms of the team I'm playing for, it would it would be Lithuania. You know, my entire family is there. My entire family is from there. Everyone, Basically, everyone still lives there. So it's just, just a lot of pride for that country, for those people, humble. You know, work they work hard, everything. So it would just be an honor to play for Lithuania. Yeah. When uh, when you look at the, the great players from Lithuania, who would be on that team with you? And, and have you had a chance to meet any of them, get to know them as you go around the NBA, or did you know them growing up? Well, I, I definitely, you know, I definitely don't know personally too many of the Lithuanian basketball players, but, you know, a couple of NBA players I would play with on the Lithuanian national team would be Valanciunas and uh, Domantas Sabonis. But, um haven't really gotten to talk to them, you know, about it. Uh, me and Dolan just messaged each other a little bit, but um, I'm just excited. If that if, if it could happen, then it would be amazing. Great. And then the the final question is: you go around the the the, the different circles, the NBA arenas, and ha- have you had a chance to to talk to any of your uh, Michigan buddies that that you played with that that you knew during recruiting period? Who, who have you talked to so far? Well, when we played Golden uh, State, I got to I got to meet up and talk to Jordan, which was really really cool. Um, we I wasn't you know I'm, I'm I move up and down a lot from the G League to the NBA team, so I don't my schedule is all over the place. But it was really and then also seeing Coach Beeline, I saw him a couple times. I saw Jordan, so it was cool. I saw Derek Walton when we played the Clippers, so just seeing that family and that community is great. When when you mentioned John Beeline again, um, what was the the number one lesson that you learned from him as a player? As a player, is just one hundred percent make the play the right way, make the right plays. You know, play play to win. That's that's the biggest thing, and I think that actually brings me you know a bit of an advantage over some guys because I feel like the way he taught me the game and the way. Um, he showed me it has definitely been like the reason why I'm doing really well right now. And, um, yeah, definitely grateful for all the things he taught me. Well, Iggy, we really appreciate your time. Um, you, you are truly one of my favorite Michigan players ever. And, and I see, I see a bright future in the NBA for you. Keep doing what you're doing. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks Iggy. And we're back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider, Sam Webb and Tim McCormick. Tim, another great chat, as I say after every interview. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Iggy, it, it was there was always going to be a tra- like a lot of rookies. There's going to be a transition, 
to the you know to the next level uh, in you know a period of adaptation, if you will. But I just think that that guy has he has a skill set uh, as a wing and a body uh, as a guy that can get to the rim and finish through contact that will allow him, I think, with time to be a scorer at the NBA level. It's a tough transition, and I spent a lot of time at the rookie transition program with Iggy. He was actually there with Duncan Robinson, who didn't go when he was a true rookie, and Jordan Poole. Um, and they're very, very close. And, you know, with Iggy's transition from Lithuania, moved to Chicago, then to Canada, um, you know, comes from a, a humble background. He's a hard worker. He's a good guy. He loves Michigan. I have really high hopes for him. And and the fact that when he was in Canada, he talked about Nick Stauskas was was kind of a role model and mentor. Um, you know, if if Nick didn't make it into the NBA for, you know, the kind of career we expected, it really goes to show how challenging it is. It's it's a it's a different game than college. And and so I can't I I, I can't project exactly the type of player he's going to be, but I do see him as a really solid NBA player that will have a long career. Yeah, I do too. I, I think one of the things that maybe he gets, he gets knocked for unfairly. Uh, and, and I think it'll, I think it'll change in time with time on task, defending guys, you know, elite wing prospects, which is every guy, Every guy in the NBA is an elite wing prospect in, mm-hmm. from college, mm-hmm. right? But I remember last year when Michigan went to Villanova. Remember Villanova was a top 10 team, yep. and Michigan just blew their doors off. I mean, just blew them completely out. And in that game, uh, you know, Eric Pascal, was he, he was terrible in that contest. And this is a guy who is, you know, he's Eric Pascal's a pro. You know, 6'6", 240, can shoot it, can put it on the floor some, and Iggy shut him down. And I was impressed with his, with his footwork, uh, with, his, with his ability to, to, to stay on a guy, uh, to body a guy without fouling. Now, you know, quickness got him at times a little bit as we got through the season last year. But I just feel like as he, as he honed his technique – against quicker guys that eventually he was going to be able to do it. And I really base it on that very first defensive experience with him, watching him that day saying he has the ability. He just needs some more experience. And Eric Pascal is a, a really good NBA prospect now. And and so I do remember that game against Villanova and, and he had a lot of those. And, you know, for, for John Beeline's system, it's really hard for, for freshmen, it, there, there's a lot of precise movements that you need and, and meticulous attention to detail. And the guys that have been able to, to, to succeed for John Beeline as freshmen had so much confidence, like, look, I'm just going to go out and make a play. And, and John Beeline always reacted positively to ball players that were loaded with confidence. Mm-hmm. That is Iggy. Let's get back into... This season, this team, Tim, we touched on the the Illinois loss uh, a little bit earlier in the podcast, but it was one that look even even with Isaiah Livers out for essentially half the game, he came back, gave it a shot for his team, gave him a boost emotionally, if not anything else. They still had a chance, even with him on the shelf and free throws. Tim, free throws, free throws, free throws, free throws. Illinois was a blown opportunity, plain and simple. And within the game, you 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 have a point blank jump hook by Teske. Um, you have six missed free throws. Essentially, one of them was a front end of one and one, which didn't give you the second one. Plenty of opportunities for stops to win the game, and that would have been a win over the number twenty-two team in the country. And a strong resume builder gives you some confidence. Livers is back. Or, thought he was and and then just you know the free throw shooting was was a real problem and and I, I, I when when you when you watched Michigan last year D 
didn't you always feel like, gosh, you know, they're going to, they're going to lose a game because some of their key players are just not clutch free throw shooters. It never happened until Illinois. Mm-hmm. That, that, that was the first game where I thought, okay, this, this bit them because they, they were completely in control and, and all they had to do is make their free throws. Yeah. You know, you, you hate that, that, such a great opportunity uh, to for a confidence builder what was lost and you can see different times in the game Tim I'm I'm big on on, on emotion translating to play uh, and there were there were times in that contest where I felt like you know the the emotional lag was going to get him and then then a play would happen and often uh, and I want to focus on Franz Wagner for a minute because I I've talked about this before you know Franz didn't have a great shooting game He's four for 11 from the field, one for six from three. Uh, but the boost, the lift that he gave his team emotionally and, and one opportunity, some some different plays that he made that, uh, you know, he got leverage off, a, off, a, off an inbounds play uh, and scored a bucket. He got leverage in transition and, and got to the rim. And you could see him just get fired up. And that, you know, I feel like this is a team that can use more of that in this time the unfortunate part of it is it's coming from a freshman, like a freshman has to provide it. And then number two, he can't provide it consistently right now because he isn't playing his best game offensively. This is where you need, you know, some of your veterans maybe to step outside of themselves a little bit more and, and to be a little more vocal. It could be, it could, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be rah-rah. It could be something like you said earlier in the show to get, to kind of loop these things together. Or you said, hey, here, look, if you're John Teske, you gotta demand the basketball. That is a show of emotion that I think can lift the team. I, I see that, and and I also I, I like the fact that you pointed out that Franz is an excellent driver and finisher, but but a couple of concerns: no assists in the first half. Yeah, that, that's unheard of. One for eleven from three. How in the world? Did they stay in the game only down by four points? Yeah, they. So after the game, uh, Brad Underwood kind of he he mentioned that that one of the part of the game plan was to was to make make uh, Xavier Simpson be escorted to prevent him from piling up the assist numbers. Uh, you know to to and basically the the idea was look they they are going to try to nullify their any any sort of pick and roll action. Uh, they're going to stay with shooters if 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 Xavier Simpson can hit a jump shot or two, if John Teske can hit a jump shot or two, they're going to live with it. Now X had a decent game, make no mistake. Uh, you know he he even without the assists, he was you know Michigan's most consistent offensive player. Uh, but man, he, you could tell, you could look around and see that no one else was really able to get off because X wasn't there to really create for him in this contest. I thought X was was really good, and and there were some positives from the Illinois game. Things you can build on. Low turnovers, only two for the game. Um, I thought the post defense against Coburn was much improved. They out rebounded a really good rebounding team, and those are things that you can build on. Remember, if your offense is struggling, go get a stop and play in transition. Right. Michigan Michigan's wings run really well. Um, but but I am concerned because Isaiah Livers having him back really made the defense click so much better. And I, I, I know he's a good rebounder. He helped a great deal in that area. And when he went out, you could see, you could see. It. Yeah, you really could. You're absolutely right. You, you could see it, it, it be deflating for them. A bit, and again, this is where your veterans, uh, you know, step in and say next play hard. Look, easy to say, hard to do. So uh, you know, you don't want to. They they're humans too. I imagine that the veterans, you know, X and and, and Teske and Eli Brooks, they they they're impacted too uh, when when their brother goes down. So don't want to make them make it sound like they're immune to it. But you know, this is when when they have to lift the team uh, emotionally. And to their credit, to the team's credit, Tim, they didn't they didn't wither when I, this is not me, you know, saying that it's a, you know, a moral victory or anything. But they didn't wither when Isaiah Livers went down. They hung their heads for a bit, but they fought back and they had opportunities late to win this game. 
They just couldn't capitalize on, like you said, the hook or or the free throws there to get it done at the end. And like what happens so often, the the best player on the court, his team won. Yep. And that that that's the sumo. He he was he was great. I mean, it, the shot that he made was well defended, and and um, I I just I was so impressed. Yeah, so that leads us to some mailback questions before we get into uh, previewing, you know, upcoming upcoming games. Some great mailback questions this week, Tim. Uh, too many to to get through them all, but we'll select a few. And so uh, one of the questions over from the MichiganInsider.com, I'll just combine two about Isaiah Livers. It says, assuming no Livers until the end of February, where does this team finish out record-wise and – what is Livers' draft stock? Is there a benefit to him returning for his senior year? So I think that without Isaiah, I, I am. I look at the record and what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to 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 play a lot better to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, I I don't think that with with his injuries and the amount of time he's been off, I don't see him going to the NBA. I don't think his draft st- status will be very good. And I also think it's going to be that, that he, he come back and lead his team and have a great year. You know, he's got to prove he's durable. Um, and so I, I, I expect him to be back. Uh, that's a good point because he's had, uh, he's had injuries throughout his career. So you're absolutely right. The durability question returning for his senior year uh, could, could answer that. And then you, you just feel like, you know, a a year where he is a front, an entire year where he's a front line scorer, where he's a top option, it will do a lot for his draft stock as well. He was going to be that this year, but the sample space is so small. You know, I don't think that you would find NBA teams saying, "Yeah, we we know that this guy uh, can can shoulder, uh, you know, offensive responsibility at the NBA level based on what they've seen thus far." If he comes in. Uh, back for his senior year and is able to shoulder a, a big load, I think he'll answer any questions that, that teams might have. But skill skill set-wise, Tim, I mean, skill set-wise, you think he's a pro, though, right? I totally do. I I, um, I thought that last year he, he rebounds his position, excellent defender, three-point range, runs the court, great attitude. He's got everything that you're looking for. Gotcha. All right, uh, let's, let's look ahead as – fans often like to do and look at a big guy in next year's class so this is another question over from the michiganinsider.com that uh is hunter dickinson someone who can come in and log big minutes as a true freshman what's big minutes if it's 30 i think that's asking a lot i think colin castleton will help i think that there are times they can go with a smaller lineup with brandon johns at the five but i do think that hunter dickinson is their starting center next year. I think he will play 20 plus minutes. I think 25 would be a lot. Um, but, but he, he is, um, he's going to add some physicality. I think he's an underrated athlete and, and we'll, we'll, we'll look and play a little bit like John Teske. So you think, you think right now, based on what you've seen that he would be the five over Colin Castleton next year. I think so. I think so. And, you know, Colin's role has diminished. Um, and, and there was a time in the non-conference where I, I thought he was, he was pushing Teske not to start, but to play more and more minutes. And that has reversed. Um, I think he's lost some confidence. You have not seen him with a breakout game in what seems like, like three or four weeks. Yeah. As they've gotten into playing some of these, you know, more physical, more physically mature bigs that really bang them around in the post, they've gone to Austin Davis and, I guess for me, you know, another off season of John Sanderson. I just I think as 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 fans, as followers, as observers, we gotta we gotta take a wait and see approach to what happens to him physically because I can tell you, I remember when John Sanderson first set eyes on, got his hands on Colin Castleton. He 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 saw how limited he he was physically. But he said, Sam, I remember talking to him about I remember it like it was yesterday. He said, Man, this guy, he he's a this guy is a pro. It, it two years, two years of of rotation experience, not just being a you know, a a garbage time guy, 
But two years of of being in the rotation, being a primary guy, and I think he he's a pro. What has limited him from that, Tim? I think he's just not big enough. He's not big enough. He's not strong enough yet. And that, too, plays into confidence because I think when he goes in there, you know, he sees that he's not quite big enough and strong enough to match up with some of these guys right now. Right. When 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 big guys go into the low post, when they try to block somebody out, you know who's got real man strength and who's still emerging. And I, I think that's the case. Yeah. All right. Uh, another young guy. Uh, speaking of shooting, we've we've talked about shooting a lot, Tim, and how poorly Michigan is shooting the basketball right right now. Which, which begs another question from the MichiganInsider.com. Any idea what's preventing Cole Badgema from getting playing time? You have to believe that when a guy's not playing, that he's not producing in practice. Michigan needs three-point shooting so much that if he was a viable alternative to, to what Michigan's getting now, he would be playing. I think that, I think that, that, that Juwan is watching him closely but not quite ready for prime time. It, it most likely would be on the defensive end that Cole needs some work. Mm-hmm. I wonder, and I, I'll have to look this up. I'll have to inquire about it to see, but I wonder if his redshirt, if there's a focus on trying to preserve his redshirt, because while I agree with you, Tim, I think it probably is the case that in practice he hasn't shown that he's better than the guys ahead of him. But I feel like, and I think a lot of observers feel like, the guys that are in the games have shown that Cole Badgema couldn't be worse. You know, when it comes to mm-hmm. when it comes to some of the shooting, uh, some of the poor shooting that we've seen of late. So if the shooting can't be any worse, then, you know, why not give another guy a shot to see if he can come in and drain a few for you? I actually see that line of thinking. Uh, but I, I, I wonder, as I said before, I wonder if this is about red shirt with him. That's something we'll have to look into to see if that if that's still on the table for him right now. But I suspect that it may be. It's a good thought. And, you know, if Juwan didn't like Cole Bajima, he probably would go ahead and play him and burn the year just to keep the process, keep him moving through the program. Um, if, if, if red shirting is the option, then I bet that Jawan Howard really likes what he sees. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that that's the case. Don't, don't take that as gospel right now as, uh, you know, we got to look, look into it. So let's look ahead now. Uh, you know, no time, no time to, to lick your wounds, to, you know, uh, to, to be caught up in despair over the missed opportunity against Illinois. Uh, because it, the rough and tumble Big Ten, it's about the next game. And for the Wolverines, that means a matchup with Nebraska on Tuesday. Now, this may sound too dramatic and a bit ridiculous. It's still January. But without two wins versus Nebraska and Rutgers, I think an NCAA trip becomes extremely challenging. Now, I will be honest with you. I've probably watched about three minutes of Nebraska basketball. I like Fred Hoiberg. They play hard, but the roster is JC transfers and castoffs and guys from their IM IM teams. <laughs> this has to be a must win for Michigan. And then the the Rutgers game, um, Geo Baker is a is a really good guard. Ron Harper Jr. has been a pleasant surprise in their top score. Um, they've won nine out of eleven, which is crazy. The, Steve Peichel is a, a, a really good coach. Um, they're third in the Big Ten right now. And, and I think it's a huge miscalculation to give one of our home games to play in New York. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, yeah. Rutgers, Rutgers would be an underdog at Chrysler, and they are a favorite in a home game. That, that just, that's not right. Michigan's playing nine home games and 11 road games this year. And that's unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very tough one for the maize and blue and a team that gets in you, gets in you defensively can get to the rack. Uh, it's going to be a tough, hard fought physical game against a team. You mentioned third in the big 10 in the top 25, they were number 24 at last check. So when we say this isn't your, your average Rutgers squad, it's not. Uh, and while Michigan will have, 
you know, I still think Michigan will have the crowd advantage at MSG. Uh, Rutgers is going to feel very, very comfortable. You got to feel like the, the fans that they have are inspired by the way they're playing basketball. And I'm going to get out to see them play. So going to be a tough one for the maze and blue, Tim. It's never tough to do a show with you, though, my friend. It's always fun. I uh, love working with you, Sam. A lot of fun. Thank you. All right. We'll see you guys next week on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.